O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Turn, if we would, to page 392 in the Pew Bibles in front of you or in your own Bible to Psalm 63, our appointed psalm for this morning. O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. There is a sense here, and also in verse 6 of the text, And verse 6, six says, when I remember you on my bed, I may meditate on you in the night watches. If you look at that on page 392, <coughs> excuse me, I meditate on you in the night watches. And we might be confused, but the night watches mean, means the very early watches of the morning. The Septuagint translation uh, uh, translates the, word, the Hebrew word there as the period relatively early in the morning, dawn, early morning. So it's really speaking of the same thing, that very early morning. The Coverdale translation in our prayer book reads, Have I not remembered thee in my bed and thought upon thee when I was waking? Because we always wake before dawn. All right, maybe only Travis and John, but... What is the implication here? The very first thought of our morning. Indeed, when we even first open our eyes and wake up, should be of our triune God. There's a sense in which the implication is that's my first thought. That's where I first, my first direction. So therefore, it is not unusual to think about old-fashioned Christians, you know, in in black and white pictures and old books, kneeling next to their bed as they've just gotten up and are doing their prayers. Is it any surprise that the church has from her foundation always prayed daily, morning and evening? Our church in the English Catholic tradition continues that good beginning and has for 2,000 years. The question for all of us is, how do we do in keeping that practice? If you can't actually be at a church that is praying the morning office, you can, of course, keep the office by yourself or with your family. And yes, let me reiterate over and over again how hard that is to do. Um, Part of my job is to come down here and lead the morning prayers, if you will. Lead the evening prayers after the school day. But it is a hard thing to keep a practice of it when you don't have a community to do it with. Don't let that deter you. First of all, I've told you many times, you can start to participate in the daily office in a very simple way. The heart and core of Daily prayer is the Lord's Prayer. That is the basic prayer of the church, right? So that's the one Jesus gave us. And when the church is taught in her catechesis about prayer, it is all based on the Lord's Prayer. That's the foundation. So please, if you can't be at a morning prayer and you've never practiced this, just start with the daily recitation of the Lord's Prayer, morning and evening. Do it for a month and then maybe add a psalm in and just go through the Psalter 
one by one, or when you get to long ones, break them apart. Like, you know, no one should do Psalm 119 on their own for, for their morning prayer time. Yes, there are monasteries with monks who pray the whole Psalter every day. Yeah, that's, that's, um, th- th- that is a, uh, a work of practice. Um, and the monks have the time to do that. Now, our prayer book is set up. If you can get to the level of where the prayer book is set, um, you could perhaps pray the Psalms appointed for that day in the morning and that day in the evening. It's broken up that way to be recited for a certain set. And you'll look in the prayer book. You see for morning, for evening, first day, second day, third day. Um, but maybe more importantly than getting to that would be to maybe add some other, other prayers in. And you can build your way into the office. Um, and I'm hoping after having prayed this psalm today, and maybe after my sermon you might think, well, maybe that's a good idea. Um, the, the other thing to know is that there is no end of options on the interweb these days to listen to and to pray the office with a church or a ministry that is doing that. Um, just be a little bit cautious about which office you're praying uh, but there are very good options for the 1928 BCP tradition. I was ill the other morning and I took advantage of one of those options and prayed uh, the office that day by myself with a recording of a group of people that did it. Maybe not the best way to do it, in, in, at least in my experience, but it was very helpful to do it with um, someone that was, you know, had recorded, recorded doing it. So there are helps out there that this uh, crazy internet world actually delivers to us. Um, So looking at the next verse, the next verse that I quoted at the start of this sermon, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Excuse me. Father Reardon notes that communion with God is the goal of all prayer no matter how elementary, pedestrian, or dry. He continues regarding this psalm in particular. This psalm, in fact, speaks of the soul's sense of dryness, even as it aspires to divine union. (coughs) Excuse me. We've all been there. We've all tried to pray and felt a dryness instead of a joy, instead of a fullness, instead of positive emotions. Well, this is not the time to give up, as this psalm encourages. The psalmist is saying, it's dry, I'm in a dry land, there's no water, but yet I want to be with God. I want to be in union with God. Don't give up when you feel that. God hears our prayers no matter our emotional or even spiritual state. It might be helpful at this point to look at the context of this psalm. The Pew Bibles include the traditional ascription at the top of the psalm. In this case, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So we know that this psalm was written by King David, and there are a few times 
when David was thus hiding, either when he was hiding from Saul in the wilderness of Ziph, which lay sufficiently near the borders of Edom to be called indifferently of Judah and of Idumea, or as in the flight from Absalom and his coup, when Absalom made a a large-scale effort to take over the kingdom. Either way, David was in trouble in both instances. One can start to imagine more fully the front end of the psalm, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In verse 2, David writes, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. This is the place to find God in his temple, in his sanctuary, in his tabernacle for David. Yet David is cut off from that sanctuary. And Father Neil argues that this makes a good point in favor of this episode being during the coup of Absalom. The reference in the third verse to previous access to the sanctuary, which fits in with David's parting from the ark, saying, carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the sight of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. For David, the sanctuary was represented by the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, which usually would be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, which in David's time was still a portable sanctuary. Solomon, David's son, builds the permanent temple for the Ark, but generally the Ark was residing in Jerusalem in David's day. It is interesting to note that a physical space and a physical inanimate object is that to which David is referring Not that he wants to worship the Ark of the Covenant any more more than you or I want to worship the altar or the cross, the, the, uh, the cross that is carried in the procession, or an icon. David wants to find union and communion with God Almighty. The space and the place and the Ark, however, are important parts of that union and communion. And he's been cut off by the sin of his son. The obvious application for us is to remind ourselves how we cut off ourselves from union with God by our own sin. Many contemporary Christians would note, well, we don't have to worry about being cutting off from a sanctuary We don't need to go to a place to find God. We can just pray and ask forgiveness of God in our hearts or perhaps our heads or something, and we are forgiven and we can move forward. Not so fast. I'm not saying that we cannot ask and receive forgiveness of God in our hearts, and could not David do so as well. But note the heartache of the psalm. Do we feel that heartache? if we are cut off from the sanctuary. If you can't make it to church on a Sunday, do you feel like you're in a barren and dry land? I think that the reason, the recent COVIDemic, if you will, has shown us that there is great heartache all over our land by being cut off from the sanctuary. People may not feel it in the same sense that David is describing, But I think the stats show us that it is true. 
There is application of this language of David and his plight for the church. Father Neil quotes two early saints on verse 2 of David's psalm. The world is a desert because the saints dwell not therein, since they are not of it. It is pathless because it knows not Christ, who is the way. It hath no water because the fountain of grace for cleansing is not there in the world. Evil is the desert and horrible and to be feared. And nevertheless, God hath pitied us and hath made a way in the desert himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, and hath made to us a consolation in the desert in sending to us preachers of his word. And hath given unto us water in the desert by fulfilling with his Holy Spirit his preachers, in order that there might be created in them a well of water springing up unto life everlasting. And lo, we have here all things, but they are not of the desert. In making application in his day, St. Athanasius takes it literally of those compelled to fly to the desert because of their religion and longing there for the solemn services of the church. And of course, Athanasius spent most of his episcopate exactly in the desert, hiding from the imperial troops who were trying to capture and or kill him. And you can imagine him out in the desert in Egypt longing for his cathedral, the place where he's supposed to be sitting and taking care of his diocese and his people. This hunger for God, which David is expressing in this psalm, is perhaps obvious to many of us, though the world would deny it. Says one commentator, this natural, inbuilt longing within the human spirit to know, praise, and be united with God is that is that of which St. Augustine spoke in the famous line in the beginning of his confessions. You move us to delight in praising you, for you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And those who seek the Lord will praise him, for those who seek will find him, and those who find him shall praise him. Let me seek you, Lord, in calling upon you and call upon you in believing in you. Our commentator continues, noting that just as the Holy Spirit is the source of the church's faith and the source of her charity, so is he the fountain of her hope. And that hope seems so easily destroyed in our present day. Says Father Reardon, the soul's spiritual enemies are ever-present, and they too are referenced when our psalm speaks of those who vainly seek my soul, those destined to be delivered to the hands of the sword and to become the portion of foxes. Yet with all of this attack, with all of this uh, fear and potential loss of hope, Yet David trusted and seemingly from his life retained his hope in his God. Even in the midst of running from his son who has betrayed him and seeks to slay him, David trusts in the Lord. 
And yes, we are called to the same trust and the same hope. Yes, we and our families and our friends near and far face heartache and losses, defeats, loss of employment, loss of houses, and fire. The list of bad news can seemingly be endless. And in fact, you know people, and maybe you fall prey to this in your own life, oh well, more bad news, oh, more bad news, let me add it to the list and let me reference it to everyone I talk with. And you know, we can get that way. Oh, woe is me. You, know, you can be an Eeyore about all the bad news. In the midst of all of it, God is there. Though we had a tiny taste, a tiny taste of the loss of the sanctuary during COVID. We have tasted nothing like many Christians around the world taste every day. In China, for instance, the taste of the loss of the sanctuary. I cannot go to join the people of God to worship God. The sanctuary, my friends, is here. And it's in spots all over this globe. The bread and the wine are here every week to be transformed by a miracle of the Holy Spirit into the body and blood of Jesus for us. The place of prayer is here. The holy space of this sanctuary has been set apart and blessed for holy use of prayer and praise and thanksgiving and feasting. Don't neglect the opportunity. Don't forget David's words. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It is interesting to note that this psalm is traditionally appointed for matins on Sunday mornings. It makes sense, doesn't it? As Father Reardon notes, as the highest possible communion with God on this earth, the Holy Eucharist is the supreme fulfillment, this side of heaven, of the aspirations of Psalm 63. Amen.